1: Jane. How's it going Mike? This is so fun already. This is great. Yeah how are you? I'm
2: doing great thanks. Yeah? Yeah I like what you were just saying before we started recording. I,
1: it's the year of don't touch anyone in microdose. Yeah
2: I <laughs> was like don't touch anyone even your friends and you said it's the year of microdosing and no touching. Yes. I appreciate that. I think it is like time. I'm down.
1: Right? Yeah. Don't touch me. I am microdosing. You should be doing the same thing.
2: <laughs> I'll like. i invite your touch if I want it. And you'll get it through like visual and audio cues. Yes. Like I'll come toward you. I'll make eye contact and I'll say, hey, could I get a hug? <laughs> then you can go ahead and give me one.
1: If I want to touch you.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. And maybe you don't. No. Just a lot of consent going on. A lot of low dose and consent.
1: Low dose and consent is a fucking... That's the way toward world peace. You're probably right. right. You are right. Why am I saying the word probably?
2: Well, I don't know. I think it would help.
1: Welcome to Weed and Grub, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast about consent and microdosing now. <laughs>
2: i would totally listen to that podcast we're also about cannabis comedy cooking culture and calling shit out yeah we is how are you feeling this week
1: obviously delirious
2: i'm exhausted yes is that a bat we're also recording at my place the window is open it's magic hour there are creatures everywhere my dog is restless my cat looks like he's about to kill something and there is a creaking crawling sound it's a bat is it a bat
1: yeah it's a wee ho bat
2: yeah a wee ho bat
1: you know like new york has pigeons and west hollywood has bats
2: damn man i'm down we also have possums
1: oh yeah yeah
2: i have a possum in my backyard oh
1: a little new friend yeah
2: he comes peeping over the fence sometimes and archie just loses his mind and he goes away but he's awesome
1: who goes away the possum yeah wait what do you mean peeping over the fence like
2: he just comes over his little face comes over the fence and then archie sees him usually we're like sitting out there in the evening And he'll see the little possum face, and he goes nuts, and then the possum face just goes away. So it kind of looks like a hand puppet coming up over the fence, because I never see his hindquarters, because he doesn't take his eyes (laughs) off the dog. Right. So I'm not entirely (laughs) unconvinced that it's not. Wait, how many negatives have I put in there? I think it might be my neighbor with a hand puppet, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs)
1: <laughs> one in the morning your neighbor's like oh time to get to work
2: oh he he like comes anytime after dusk so he could like right now he could be out there
1: your neighbor is leaning against the fence waiting for you to open the door uh-huh. so he can slide on the hand puppet and do a little play
2: <laughs> i mean that would be the way that i would fuck with my neighbor for sure
1: yeah yeah also what a cool hand puppet uh,
2: yeah but possums are super smart
1: Really, hmm, like, like neighbor smart,
2: yeah, maybe neighbor smart, uh, my sister sent me a link, though, when I was like, I'm just sitting here like watching a possum tool around on my back fence, and she sent me an article about possums and how intelligent they are, and that they're smarter than dogs, some think, and sort of like akin to pig intelligence,
1: wow, yeah, wow, they're part of the pig party, yeah, wait, how are you how are you testing? possum knowledge like what you're know, they're they're not they're, but they're not sitting in a classroom filling out a scantron no
2: but people have them as pets and stuff and there are lots of studies done on them
1: no who has a possum pet
2: all the everyone in arkansas has a possum don't they <laughs> i don't know did i just alienate a bunch of people <laughs> like
1: all of arkansas shut their windows listen
2: if i could have a possum as a pet there are a bunch of things that i would love to have if i could i'd love to have a hedgehog i'd love to have a possum there's a little thing called a hyrax which is like a little south african kind of possumy hedgehoggy creature that Sounds i would love cute. to have yeah
1: what what else is smart? So possums, pigs and dolphins?
2: There's so many smart things.
1: And then dogs are at the back?
2: I mean dogs are just not, you know, known for their brilliance. <laughs> but they are lovely. And I do love you, Archie. I love you so much. <laughs> With your little walnut brain.
1: It is small, right?
2: He's he's not he doesn't like use logic or reasoning. He's all heart. And it yeah. he makes me feel so good.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like I had a, a nap earlier cause I had opposite coffee. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're throwing a lot at me. What? What? So
2: we're, <laughs> we're tired, man. Like this has been a week. This has been a week. There's been so much going on and I've just been kind of running on empty. Um, I, I don't know how you feel, but like I just had that like mid-afternoon wall and I was like, I'm going to power up by having a nitro cold brew coffee that'll like punch me through that wall. But instead it kind of like whacked me in the face and I immediately like I drank it and then I had to have a nap. And um, yeah, Archie cozied up with me during my opposite coffee nap.
1: That's a good spy would reverse your coffee with an opposite coffee. That's what it felt like. So they can like, you know, sneak into the ball.
2: Yeah, it felt like someone had slipped me a zanny. I was like, oh no, I have emails to... (laughs)
1: Do you think raccoons think they're beautiful?
2: I hope so, because I think they're so amazing to look at.
1: They really are. Yeah,
2: with their tiny little hands that look like they're wearing little black gloves and their masks, they look like robbers. They do. Yeah.
1: I've never thought, of course I've thought of that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: don't humor me, Mike, just because I'm tired. <laughs> don't pretend I'm charming just because I'm exhausted.
1: What, do you think vultures are smart?
2: Oh, uh, I don't know.
1: I do. They put us in their Oh, website.
2: nice. Nice. Nice, yes, zing! We were in Vulture this week,
1: the biggest comedy website in the world.
2: <sighs> Boy, that felt good to wake up and see that, and like the comedy podcast roundup, and to be in such like illustrious company. And I don't know, have John Gabrus, our amazing guest, be called out as the godfather of stoned podcasting? Yeah, so cool.
1: Thank you, everybody, for just riding with us. Thank you to Gabrus for being on the pod. Thank you to Vulture for writing about it. The article that they wrote about us made me feel so fucking seen Mm -hmm. and they just hit it on the head for me they they get what we're trying to do and it felt so good
2: yeah one of the things that they wrote was that even if you're not into weed and or grub they said uh our charm like our rapport is worth the price of admission yeah So that felt really cool because Weed and Grub are like the cornerstones of what we do. And then we can kind of just have discussions with such fascinating people from all walks of life about anything under the sun. Yep. Yeah, speaking of Vulture and Gabris and this week's uh, Courtney from Disco Dining Club and all the amazing people who have joined us and today's guest, Stephen Kramer Glickman. So excited for him to be on the pod because we have three of our past guests, Laganja Estranja, Ron Funches and Open Mike Eagle, who have agreed to join us for the South by Southwest panel that we submitted. And we just need everyone, if you have a second, to go and vote at southbysouthwest.panelpicker.com. Or you to, can go
1: on our Instagram yeah. and click the link, or our Twitter and click the link, or any of our bios on our Instagram and click the link, Facebook and click the link. <laughs> Use Google and go to South by Southwest Panel Picker and click the link. <laughs> Vote for us, please.
2: Yeah, the panel is called Art, Entertainment, and Social Justice Awareness. And it is a conversation that we want to bring about art and cannabis advocacy and just you know what we need to do. Does legal weed need to lighten up? How can we create effective messaging through artistic means that we'll get the widest possible audience to listen to what we're trying to say about weed entertainers yeah
1: entertainers are the people who carry the message and can change the world i trust entertainers who speak truth and draw an audience together and that is to me what our panel is all about yeah it's about the idea of laganja Estranja reaching such a wide audience with such a powerful message that is being lived by laganja Mm -hmm. ron funches who has an autistic son and like pot and parenting Mm -hmm. and is one of the most famous comedians in the country Mm -hmm. open mic eagle like one of the most talented musicians who broke through comedy central with the new negroes Mm -hmm. like these are the people who are taking cannabis and that message and spreading it far and wide about legalization about pot prisoners
2: destigmatization normalization all of the things that we're trying to talk about we are so excited to have them like agree to join us so please yeah just go vote
1: go vote Easy peasy.
2: Easy peasy. So can we get to, oh, wait, our guest.
1: Stephen Kramer Glickman.
2: So you had an experience with him that I want you to set this up, this oh, interview up.
1: Okay, with. I'd love to. Recently. Um I mean, look, when the stars align, you got to put a lasso around them and like, you know, bring them into your heart. That's the only way to do it. And the stars absolutely aligned for this. So Stephen is a good friend. Uh, I do his podcast, The Nighttime Show. We have done a bunch of stand-up together. You might know him from Big Time Rush. You might know him from Storks. You might know him from his enormous following on Instagram and Twitter. Now, <laughs> what now people might also know him from is the following story. He asked me to open for his album recording, mm-hmm. and it's a huge honor, right? You're yeah. recording your debut comedy album, and he asked me to open. So I do my job. I kill it. I'm very happy with how I did. And then he goes on stage. He has a Trump joke that ripped the fucking room apart like ripped it apart so hard that he almost couldn't follow himself with the next joke does that do you know what i'm saying totally when it's like this trump joke hits so fucking hard that some people may as well have just been like just do it again right like keep doing that your trump impression is so good and then as luck would have it in the back of the room is stormy fucking daniels what the fuck right yeah so I'll try and keep it short because it's too crazy to get into. But at the end of the day, Stormy, Clickman, and a couple other people and myself are all hanging in the green room chopping it up and then we all go to denny's because it's like right around the corner and while we'll, we're all hungry so it's stormy daniels glickman myself matt walker mike black Dwayne, her assistant and uh, jamie and we're all at denny's stormy daniels was like your trump impression is so goddamn good glickman and glickman's like yeah i should open for you on the road for your upcoming tour and she goes yeah you should and so then tmz reports it <laughs> Freaking posts his Trump joke, which is incredible. Like, what a perfect alignment. And she has a CBD line coming out. Amazing. So maybe she should come on the pod and talk about CBD.
2: Hell, yeah. I want to hear her stories.
1: it would be very nice. Very cool. So anyway, um, it's just I just wanted to say congratulations to Glickman. And I'm so happy for him and Stormy for their upcoming tour together. And what a day to have Glickman as our guest.
2: Oh, my god. I can't wait for everyone to hear our interview with him, because he tells some incredible stories. Before we get to him. Okay, the
1: Snoop story is very good though.
2: Yes, we have uh, just a little bit of news. Grub Gazette presented by Word on the Tree. Real quick, this week's story is super cool. The Supreme Judicial Court in Massachusetts ruled that the smell of weed was not enough. To justify a search of an illegal grow now the guy who had the illegal grow still got busted because there was other evidence a preponderance of it evidence, he was probably evidently. like whoa
1: don't go in that closet
2: <laughs> no, I think I'm sure he was like electric power and you know fucking trash and whatever else you have but he uh, fought and won at least the um, point that the smell of weed alone was not enough to bust him and so that was in Massachusetts and then also a judge in Pennsylvania ruled that the smell of weed could not be used to justify a vehicle search by a patient who had presented Presented to the cops with his medical marijuana card so on two cases the court ruled in favor of not using the smell of cannabis as something that could be um, evidence first for a search and seizure which is really incredible like that's that's a long way that we've come and everyone should follow out word on the tree for stories like this because Mona Zhang is doing some incredible writing and reporting and she's just got a newsletter that comes out every single day and you can keep up with everything that's going on in cannabis news in the U.S. and around the world so
1: what a win
2: yeah what wow. a week! What, what, a, what a month! W- what a year!
1: Yeah, what day is it?
2: What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I am punchy. Um, I want to do buds on the buds on the tree. Word of the week. Yeah, buds of the week.
1: Um, grublet. Buds. Buds. <laughs> <laughs> I want
2: to do Buds of the Week real quick. Is that okay. okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'd like to shout out a fellow Canadian who wrote to us. Um, S Leveille is her handle. It's S L E V E I L L E R. I think it's Leveille. And she just wrote to say, hey. And um, I went up over and checked out her Insta and she's an amazing artist. She's a designer and graphic artist and she makes such cool stuff. And I don't know, we've been chatting back and forth on IG about her work and what she likes. And she's been writing like cool stuff about being a new listener and she's my butt of the week.
1: Can you show me a little of her art?
2: Uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, she also has at white chair creative and that's my favorite one. It's that whale. Wow. It's a humpback.
1: Wow, and it's sort of
2: line drawings, and a lot of her creative stuff is like very simple and clean, and sort of.
1: Um, I love clean so much. Right, right, yeah. and then her
2: brand designs are very iconic, simple, clean lines as well. I don't know. She's she's obviously she seems like a very thoughtful person. Even though we've just been chatting on IG, I don't know her. So I that's hope it's great, okay that I'm saying
1: that about you. That's a great butt of the Week. Yeah. Oh, that's well, speaking of artists, my butt of the Week is also an artist. A Port Townsend artist, in fact, who you introduced me to. And I just can't stop looking at all of his sculptures. It is a David Eisenhower. So if you would like to follow him, it is at Eisenhower Sculpture. I'm going to spell it because it's not Eisenhower. It's Eisenhower Sculpture. So it's E-I-S-E-N-H. O-U-R and then sculpture and his stuff at first I was like who is he a Beetlejuice house. You know what I mean? Because it really does look like something that would be in that house. I can't remember who the people were that moved into Beetlejuice's house. But it looks like something they would have in the dining room that would come to life and push their face into their shrimp.
2: Yeah, a lot of what um, we call him Ike. He's a friend of my sister's. And Ike, um, because Eisenhower, he makes uh, large scale brass, using lost wax, brass sculptures of something like a seed pod. Or um, a shell or a, like a, a piece of... Look at this one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the lost wax. That's It's so amazing. That's It's called Mother's Bones. It's so beautiful. So his stuff is sort of really large-scale brass sculptures of things that in nature you would see as being quite small. But when you magnify them, they are... All of these ridged and complex structures that, you know, exist everywhere if you look around you.
1: Somebody like him is just like, hey, pay attention. The world's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. He's like, what's up, Fibonacci spiral? I see you. Yeah. (laughs) Also,
1: shout out to Tool for putting all of their albums out. (laughs) Speaking of Fibonacci sequence, I got Oh,
2: Fibonacci sequence. Sorry. What did I say?
1: Well, the spiral is the sequence. Right. Yeah.
2: Whew. Yeah. Punchy.
1: Punchy. Punchy. That reverse, that opposite coffee's got you going. Oh, man. In the opposite to have another one to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beat. I need some coffee. <laughs> what? Woo! (laughs) Well, then let's uh, tie this bow around this present and get going. Okay. Our guest this week is a good friend of mine and now a good friend of yours, Stephen Kramer Glickman. His stories are tremendous. He's a fellow
2: Canadian. He's a
1: fucking fellow Canadian. Yo, let's get into it, yeah? Yeah. Eh?
2: Yeah. Don't, know. Neither Mm -hmm. Stephen nor I will sign off on that.
1: And going to let it sit because you're right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Without further ado, here is our interview with Stephen Kramer Glickman.
1: Magical Butter whipping, Uh, uh, uh.
2: Cooking canna in the kitchen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Magical Butter whipping.
1: One, two, one, two, three. How cool are they? They're
2: so cool. They're so
1: cool. Oh my God. MagicalButter.com. They are the OG sponsor of this show, and we can't thank them enough for being that.
2: And they are also the only home extraction machine you need to make all of your own edibles.
1: Yeah, let's say I wanted to make a tincture. Can I do that with them? Yes, you can. Can I do that with chocolates?
2: Yes, you can. Oil? Yep.
1: Butter? Yep. Can of butter whipping? Yep. Down in the kitchen? Yep. Ooh. Ooh, so
2: good. And all you need to do is go to magicalbutter.com and you can enter the promo code weed and grub for 20% off at checkout.
1: That's it, so easy. Follow them on Instagram at magicalbutter. Get Can of Butter Whippin'. Download that song. Make your own. We did it. It's so much fun.
2: Dance around with a whisk.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then send send Mary Jane a DM of that whisk pick. Hashtag yeah. wish
2: wish pics. <laughs> Sean Connery, send me some whisk pics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Magicalbutter.com. Enter promo code weed and grub at checkout for 20% off.
2: And yeah, get those pics. Tag Magical Butter. Tag us. We'll share everything.
1: 100%. Can of Butter Whippin'.
2: We're cooking Canna in the kitchen.
1: What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? I'm so stoked to have our guest today. Man, he's a friend. He's a homie. He's a talented motherfucker. Stephen Kramer Glickman. Hey,
0: thanks for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here, guys. This is so dope, man. This is really cool. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Great. A fellow Canadian, also, Lo- I must point out. Yeah, fellow yes. Canadians.
0: Hello. Where in Canada are you from? You're uh Newfoundland. Um, you are from Newfoundland? We pulled the
1: mic oh, back a little from you. Yeah, oh. Like oh, yeah. right yeah. around there. Like a like oh. a shirt. Like the length of my dick away from Oh, wow. Cool. Well I know that I know that distance. <laughs> so, absolutely. Great. Sorry to interrupt Canada Canada yeah. connections. We're from Newfoundland?
2: I'm from Newfoundland. Wow. Where are you from?
0: Uh, London, Ontario.
2: Oh, nice. My sister was born in London.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Do you know the Come From Away? Uh, oh yeah, my story friend actually and...
2: taught school in Gander with some of those real people that Come From Away is based no on. No
0: way. Yeah,
2: Margie McDonald, who we interviewed on oh, the Margie's podcast.
1: Oh, Margie's cool. Yep. I don't know what Come From Away is. It's
2: the
0: uh, it musical. A, it's a Broadway musical about uh, during the when 9/11 happened. <laughs> this is a comedy podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so great. Okay, real good. fun. We're a minute in, so this. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, (laughs) I know a lot about musicals. Uh, So, uh, when 9/11 happened, uh, all the a lot of planes were diverted to uh, uh, to northern Canada to an area where there was uh, a uh, in Gander. There's a large airport that had was normally they normally had like eight planes that would land in like a week, basically. Yeah. And um, in the same morning, they had to land. What, like 20-something planes, 30 planes? So something. many planes
2: that the tarmac actually started sinking because yeah. they, it wasn't uh, used to supporting that amount of weight. But the crazy thing was the whole town of Gander showed up for all of these people who were trapped on these planes and yeah. took them into their homes. And they
0: let everybody that was flying from different countries from all over the world that were trapped there uh, uh, stay in their homes and and stay with them for. I was, I'm forgetting the time, but I think it was like 11 days or something that they lived with them. And a couple of people ended up getting married uh, no. because of it and living there. And it's a very uh, from all over the world from you everywhere. Know, if, so if Gandalf
1: is if, if Gandalf is like none shall pass, then it sounds like Gandor is like. Oh Are you I'll trying pass. To make Lord <laughs> oh of the Rings oh my god right <laughs> he just
2: this from a guy who's never seen Lord of the Rings I've never seen it talking to two wow. people who know Lord of the Rings yeah. very well the thing is that Canadians get bent out of shape about being asked whether or not we know someone like do you know my cousin Harry from Vancouver but more often than not we do right yeah like we're like we do know what people kind in of common stupid...
0: oh yes no him yes of <laughs> course yes great guy great oh John
2: guy. Tucker yeah yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we went to high school together mm-hmm. um <laughs> I had a I had a thing a couple of uh, years ago where I was dating this girl and and her and I uh, this is many years ago it was like 8 or 9 years ago. Me and this girl were dating and uh we broke up and uh and then uh, I was in a restaurant and she was in the restaurant on a date with a new guy and the guy she was with was he was an, a much older man like easily in his f- 60s or so and I and I was like I was like oh this is weird and so I got up to leave and she texted me and was like hey please come over to our table and come say hi to my new boyfriend and I was like no thank you that's super weird you know I'm not interested and she was like please please come over please come over and so I I was like fine and so I went over to the table and I was like hi nice to meet you and we shook hands and she goes oh um, uh, Stephen uh, Barry uh, uh, is is also from Canada so I thought you guys would want to meet and I was like oh great Right, so you're Canadian also, and he goes, "Yes, I am." And I go, "Where in Canada are you from?" And he goes, uh, "I'm from Montreal." And I go, "That's where my parents are from." Uh, and I go, "Where did you uh, Where did you go to high school?" And he goes, "Well, I I went to Wager High School." And I go, "That's where my parents went to high school." And he goes, "What's your last name?" And I go, "Glickman." And he goes, "Is your mom Pam?" <laughs> and I go, "Yes, it is." And he goes. I know your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I go. I'll let them know you said hi. Bye. <laughs> Have fun with your new boyfriend. What the fuck? <laughs> and just walked out. It was so great. That relationship was over so fast. Yeah. It was just like
1: ruined it, <laughs> oh.
0: ruined the moment forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But that. But this town is so weird. This town we live in such a. Bizarro town. That <laughs> guy uh, had been. This is. I know. I'm telling saying way too much. But that guy had been paying the the girl that I had. When I was dating. He had been paying her rent for two and a half years, w- including the time that we were together. He had been paying her rent the entire time. And the and the reason why is because he lived across the street, above her apartment and he could see directly into her apartment and she had all windows it was all windows and she'd be naked most of the time in her apartment so he paid her rent in exchange for her not uh keeping her blinds closed
2: that's a pretty good deal
0: that was the that was the deal. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad deal. I mean, I'm yeah. gonna be honest. Like, yeah. if you're like, I guess so. I guess. Yeah. yeah. To do what you're already doing. Yeah. yeah to do Just what you're already doing. be naked at home. Yeah. naked at home. But the rule was she couldn't have any boys over to uh, her place. Well, that's controlling and weird. Yeah. yeah. So I, if I, if I did come over, we'd have to like hook up on the other side of the apartment where he couldn't see what was
1: going on, which is pretty bizarre. That
2: is pretty bizarre. It was
1: really weird. When we interviewed Dan Bilzerian. We went to his what? huge, huge, huge mansion. In Bel Air. In Bel Air to interview him. A lot of exercise equipment. No art on the walls, all exercise equipment, and one telescope pointed at his neighbor's window. No. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Dead
0: serious. He's one of those people that, like, he's he's like the epitome of something, and I don't know what it is, but it's like... Maybe, like, what Joe Rogan would love to be, maybe, or something, some sort of thing. Like, and I love Joe Rogan, but it's like, but like, what, like, the Joe Rogan, like, the tough, like, the tough guy that cooks his own meat and kills his own stuff and photoshops his own own women. Photoshops his own (laughs) women. Yeah, 100%. Like, just this fascinating, like,
2: he did have armed guards carrying AK 47s at his weed party.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you walk in the front door, and it's just a man standing there with a gun as long as I am tall. Whoa. Hey, have a good time. Oh, yeah, you're like, totally. Cool. (laughs) I'm going to relax. I'm going to totally relax here. Oh, these these are mini corn dogs? How did you guys get these so small? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, when did your career really... Did Big Time Rush set it on fire, and it went from there?
0: Yeah, I mean, before Big Time Rush, like I, I was like a part of the comedy community because I was working. um, I was working three jobs. I was working uh, as the doorman at the comedy store. Um, The piano, I'd play piano at the comedy store, and I'd work in the phone room during the day upstairs. And then I also worked at an oil factory that would make perfumes for witches. It was a it was called the Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. They're still in existence. They're still a real Amazing. business. Way, way, way out in the valley, like deep in the valley, I'd go and, and work there. And I got fired from that witchy witch job, literally in every position that you could have. Like I got fired from, like I, (laughs) I would put the wrong labels on the, on the perfumes and I'd put them on upside down or I would do something like this and I'd get fired from that job. Then I do the packing and I'd send packing stuff to the wrong people. And then I worked in, um, you know, in uh, in the like receiving, and I would send stuff. I put stuff in. I put stuff in the wrong place. <laughs> I uh, I broke numerous paper shredders, like constantly because they they gave me a lot of stuff to shred, and I shredded stuff and broke things in the shredder. And I would put you know food in the shredder. Like I was just I just sucked at my job. I was so bad at it. And um, I would do the thing. I'd, I'd take my rolly chair. I had a roly <laughs> chair. Sorry to
1: interrupt. But yeah, it's like I could just picture you being like. Like, well, then there should be a warning you can't put ham in it. <laughs> yeah, no, like <laughs> 100%. 100%. Like, they, I,
0: like, they, I sucked so bad at that job. And, uh, um, I was, uh, and, you know, and I, I just had no, I had no agent, no manager, no nothing, you know. And then I would go do stand up, like, when I could. And then I worked at, at the same time as doing those, I also worked at Rage, the gay club on Santa Monica as a bouncer. And I would work there, um, sometimes from, Nine o'clock at night till
1: two or three o'clock in the morning Holy and I shit man get up and you're on the grind
0: I was I was grinding real hard because I is this, bef- uh, this leading up to like- big
1: time rush is this before or after your um, movie? Debut. Oh, this
0: is before. This is before. Yeah, that. because so I did. I, I got cast in this movie that my cousin's husband wrote, called the forty-one-year-old virgin that knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it. And it was like a parody that no one, <laughs> no one needed, no one wanted. A Judd Apatow parody movie. It made zero sense, right? I mean, just a terrible, terrible movie, and um, I. I like kind of locked myself into playing Seth Rogen because I kind of look a little like Seth, but I can do I could kind of like do like a little bit of a Seth Rogen impression on stage, you know. So <laughs> then I was like I was like doing Seth, and it was around the time where he had a beard, and so I wore a wig and looked kind of a little like him, like a fat Rogen basically. And then uh, and uh, so I did this horrible movie uh, for Lionsgate that was called uh breaking wind it was a parody of, <laughs> the parody of a parody of yeah, twilight yeah, yeah. and uh <laughs> and for that i was on that movie i was the assistant i was a, the assistant casting director i was an associate producer or a co-producer and uh and i no, and, and i wasn't in it um and i and i wrote on it and All i right. got uh Mike Black, I think, and Matt Walker to come in to do, do some punch to up. do punch up with me, and we like made the script a lot funnier because the script was fucking terrible, but we made it like a lot funnier, and we got um, we got we got to write some bits in there that are so stupid that 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 made it into the movie that are really ridiculous. I will tell you one of the bits. You want yes. to hear one yes, bit? This one God. of the bits was um uh the the joke was uh that uh, the the you know the what's her name the Kristen Stewart character, you know Bella comes mm-hmm. up to the father and is like dad I don't know what to do but my boyfriend like I love him and I, you know I I miss mom like did do you, did you ever think about getting remarried? Like and then the father goes no Bella once you're in love you're in love for life. That was it. Like that's what the scene was in the movie.
2: In the real movie. Okay.
0: So, uh so in the scene, uh Bella turns to her father in our scene in our movie and and he she goes, uh, "Dad, um uh after mom died, did you ever think about getting remarried?" And the father goes, "Uh yes, uh I you know, uh love is for life, you know, when you fall in love, it's for life." Uh but I did. I did think about getting remarried once and his name was Gary. And then she's like, "Really?" And he's like, "Oh, yes, yes. We we would go off and have these beautiful trips together where we would make love all night under the stars. Uh we would go to I'll never forget we uh we went um we went uh, up to the mountains. We went on the sky tram and then we went to the we did antiquing and then we would go back to the room and make sweet love to each other all night and she goes oh dad don't talk about that uh, uh tell me about the uh sky tram and then uh he would go okay all right well a sky tram <laughs> is where a man lays on his back on a bed and the other man lays on the floor and then he jerks off into the air and then the other guy catches it on his face and then when he does he goes sky tram <laughs> And then, uh, and then she goes, "Oh, Dad, gross! Uh, don't don't talk about that. Uh, tell me about the antiquing. And he goes, "Oh, that's when you do a sky tram with a ninety-eight year old man." And at that moment, an elderly man pokes his head in the window and goes, "Did someone say sky tram?" <laughs> And it fucking killed in we watched it in the theater, it killed so hard it made, it made me so happy and we and it was like me and Matt and Mike wrote that together, and yeah. we just it was so much fun, but that was like that was <laughs> that was around the time that I started like making uh <laughs> enough money to not be doing, uh, to be working like uh, regular the regular gigs. And uh, Big Time Rush also kind of popped up around the same time. And Big Time Rush was, uh, a, a, you know, uh, the first time in life I'd ever had more money than I had bills, which is the craziest. Insane. that's the craziest uh, first time in my life where I was like, oh my, oh my, I don't know what to do. What do you do with money?
1: So do you think that, Big Time Rush came because of all the friends and connections that you had made and all of the people that you have helped and now have helped you. And that, that is why Big Time Rush was even a possibility or was it an audition? Oh no, no, no,
0: Big Time Rush was an audition. That was it. Yeah, no, no, no. It was an audition. Um, it came, uh, I was at Three Arts, they, uh, which is a management company and they um, uh, saw an audition for, what they told me was an animated television show. Oh, my God. At Nickelodeon. They had sent me up with a meeting a few months prior with Nickelodeon, a general meeting where I went in and I did a lot of voices and I made the this woman named Sarah Noonan, who yeah. was the head of... Uh, Uh, Animation uh, for casting, you know, casting animation. I went with her and she was like head of talent for animation. And I went in and met with her and and I made her laugh like a lot. Mm. And at the end of the meeting, she was like, "Uh, you'll be working with Nickelodeon for the rest of your life. And I was like, whatever. (laughs) And then she proceeded to not, there was no job. Like I didn't get hired. There was nothing. And then um, about a few months later, I got an audition for an animated show that was called um it it was not called Big Time Rush it was called um like One Day More some other so like something you know, Brand New Day was the name of the show and so uh, I was like okay and I I went in thinking I was auditioning for an animated thing and it was for a Silver Fox um record producer suit and tie you
1: know, yelling. You Your know. stereotypical music producer, or anybody who sits behind a desk.
0: Yeah, like an angry guy who sits behind a desk, mm-hmm. basically. Um, like an Ari, uh, an Ari um, from Entourage, Gold, yeah, from Entourage, that kind of thing. But older, silver hair is the way he was. Really, he was written as a silver-haired fox. And I walked in, and everyone there was wearing a suit and tie, mm-hmm. and I was like. What is this? And then I found out it was live action. Oh, fuck! And I was—I called my manager and I go, "What the fuck? I go, what the fuck, dude? You sent me in. You told me it was animation. I'm wearing a hoodie sweatshirt." And a t-shirt, like mm-hmm. like my hoodie has like bang, pow, kabang all over it, like <laughs> I look like an idiot. Everyone else is, is dressed up in a suit and tie, and he was like, no, no, Stephen, the role is perfect for you. It's uh, egomaniac uh, <laughs> record producer. And he was, like, he was like, I know you know how to do that. I know you know what that sounds like. Like, just do what you think that would be. And I was like, okay. And there's a lot of improv in the script, and um, I went in, and I listened to other people's improvs and there's a lot of people using bad language and trying all sorts of weird stuff. And I went in and I said, uh, how dare you disrespect me? I I told Ice Cube to change his name to Ice Cube. His original name was Gary Blumstein or something like this. <laughs> yeah. like, like, if it wasn't for me, there'd be no Ice Cube, for God's sake. You know, like... <laughs> I'm the one who said, you know, uh, maybe maybe we should uh, screw the police, you know. Like I'm the one who told him to to write that, you know. And I I gave Tony Shaloub his first rap album. Did you know that I gave him his first rap before me? He listened to country music. That guy was an idiot. <laughs> and, uh, made up a bunch of stupid things about how I how I know everything. Like I eat gold for br- I said like I eat gold for breakfast. It hurts my stomach, but I do it anyways. Right. <laughs> That's it was great. like I said like a bunch of things like this, and I walked. I made everything. Everyone laughed in the room, and I walked out. And before I could get off the lot, they were like, "You have a callback. Get back over there." And I went back, and they were like, "Okay, what's your availability?" And I was like, "I'm available. I'm here. I'm. <laughs> I don't have a job, so <laughs> sure, I'm available." And that was Friday, and we started shooting the show Monday. Whoa! I got I got my 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 costume fitting was Sunday, and then uh and oh uh, what would I. You know, like honestly, like the first big like Big time rush season one and most of two, I'd say half of two. I was an actor on a television show having a good time. I wasn't trying to do anything else. I didn't do almost any stand up. I basically just did that. And if every once in a while I'd go and do a spot here and there, but I was like, I just wanted to be really good on the show. I wanted everyone to like me, and I wanted to, you know, I, w- I was so weirded out making a living and having some, you know, having money and a fucking trailer uh, with your tra- name on it. Yeah, I mean, we had I mean, we had dressing rooms, which yeah. actually made it nicer because we were indoors and we were able to see each other all in the morning, and it That's ha- great. kept us comfortable. And, and then suddenly, like, I was, I mean, I stole so much food from craft service in the <laughs> beginning because I was worried that it was. going to come to an end very quickly and um and more times than it does Oh yeah I, like the Matt Walker likes to joke about it but I actually didn't have any money when I got on the show I was broke and I needed Matt to pay my car insurance like for the first the first month I was on it until I got my uh first check and they had to forward they had to um prepay like a check or two for me because I owed so much money to like lawyers and manager and people and stuff that I was like, I was, it was, it was a hard, you know, beginning. Yeah, and you're
1: trying to do your job.
0: Yeah. You're trying to do your job. You're trying to be good. And you're trying to get home. Then my car broke down halfway through the first season I had to buy a new car. And then everyone got mad at me that I bought us like a sports car. Like I bought a Mustang and that was like a, my family was not stoked with, me they thought that I was like trying to be super cool and I was like no like, I need a fucking car to get around you know and it was like it was a very like I mean my family was also very very proud of me but I was uh, I was very um, you know was managing a lot of weird stuff and you know trying to trying to do a good job and then season two comes around and now our show's a hit and it premiered on Nickelodeon as the highest-rated premiere in the history of of the network, fuck, mm. it, it beat everything that's ever been on the show, and we were doing nine million people a week watching this show. That's everyone in the U.S. It it was we were doing insane, insane numbers, yeah. like crazy, crazy, crazy numbers, where people like to give you an, uh, an idea. Our premiere, we did a fourteen point nine in the ratings, and that's across all of television no shit that's like not like just in our demo that's across television so we were beating everything at one point which is crazy and then of course it went down you know it, it's oh, inevitable you know, but inevitable but yeah. within like a couple of episodes we went back to being like a good show but like a big show mm. so while that's happening, and we and there, it's not an accident that that happened Nickelodeon uh, put an enormous amount of money into that show and um, they knew it was going to be a hit and they marketed it that way and Sony was co-producing it and Sony put a ton of money behind it and got the guys to perform in the White House twice for President Obama. They per- they performed in the middle of Times Square. Um, they performed in lots of big, crazy, crazy places and it was all, it was a big machine, you know, making that that happen. But when we started season two, I uh, I got a, an artist to make a T-shirt with my face on it because I found out that I owned my likeness, which everyone else had lost in their contract, but I hadn't. So I I could put out an album with my own stuff, I could do whatever I wanted, really. And I was the only person who was allowed to do that, and this was early social media, like Twitter was just starting. So what I did was, Um, I got t-shirts made with my face on it. Um, It was like a cartoon of my face. And then um, I got the guys on my show, the kids on my show, to wear the shirt, took photos of them, and then sold those photos to every single teen pop magazine in the world. And uh, with with the deal that they would put in where they could buy the t-shirt, and then Matt Walker and I set up a website where people could buy these t-shirts with my face on it, and I sold a fuckload of <laughs> shirts.
1: Fuck yes.
0: Because Nickelodeon wasn't selling merchandise for our show, but I could because I own my face. my own face. Yeah. yeah. So that started happening, and it was doing great, and uh, and you know pumping right along, and we were getting lots of press, and things were good. And um, Nickelodeon was not stoked with me that I was doing this. And they sent a cease and desist to my attorney, who then turned it around and went, go fuck yourself. Like, he has the right to do this. And they were like, fine. Like, it was. oh Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm trying to make a living and I'm trying to create a future for myself. And then somewhere during the, the second season is when I found out uh, I would never receive residuals. None of us. On our show, would ever receive residuals forever because AFTRA and SAG made a shitty deal. Way, 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 way. It was, it was not even SAG's fault. It was AFTRA and Disney and Nickelodeon. And really quick, made these a, are
1: the a, these are acting guilds for yeah, everyone who doesn't yeah, know I'm what sorry, these are. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: at the time, AFTRA was the union force uh, for Disney and Nickelodeon television mm-hmm. and 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 for some other small places, mostly radio stuff like that. Uh, but. Uh, now after and Sager combined and they could never get away with a, a deal like this. But at the time they did. So like people like M- Miranda Cosgrove and Jeanette McCurdy and shows like I mean shows like iCarly, Victorious and you know, with Ariana Grande yeah. and, and, and uh Victoria Justice and our show were a, were no residual shows, which meant if they pay you more than the than the than the uh, after a minimum, rate minimum mm-hmm. whatever that is counts against your residuals forever so you can't so I'll never get paid more money for doing those shows so whatever I made then is what I'll make forever and that's sh- the big time rush show currently right now this is 10 years later Currently, it is playing right now in ninety three countries around the world in eleven different languages. And the only country that I will ever get paid for uh, from residuals is Spain because they had some deal with Spain. So That's every every couple months I'll get like a little check from from Spain for like maybe a thousand bucks or something like this. but wow. it's a it was a fucking terrible deal. And there was nothing we could do about it, it was just the way that they had set it up. So I was trying to take care of myself. Mm. And then, halfway through season two, Snoop Dogg comes and does the show. And this is an epic story. (laughs) So Snoop Dogg, uh, there's two pieces of the story. The first part is this. Snoop Dogg um, has a bodyguard named Big Keys. Uh, Big Keys is a big, giant, seven foot tall dude. Big Keys is responsible for saving Snoop's life in the London airport when, um, when he got attacked by the police. Keys put his body around Snoop Dogg while, while, while he was being beaten by the police in the airport. That is a, that's a true story. That's incredible, I had no idea. Yes, yeah, so, so he's a big part of, of, of his life. Uh, Stephen Keyes is a big part of Snoop's life. So Keyes and I have been friends for a very, very long time. For like 15 years, from just how weird this town is. Right, we just know each other, and we're, we're buddies. So when I got Big Time Rush, I got Keys cast right away to be the bodyguard on the show he was there on the first day of filming i walked him in i didn't tell anyone that i was doing this i walked him onto the set and i was like we should cast this guy to be the bodyguard he's a great actor and i introduced him to everyone they still made him audition but but they wrote a a role for him and he did multiple episodes of the show so because of that snoop snoop's kids wanted to watch Stephen Keys, Big Keys, on the show, and then they start telling their dad, we love Big Time Rush Dad, you should be on Big Time Rush So then Snoop agreed to do the rap on a song called Boyfriend which Big Time Rush then put out and was like a huge hit, they did it at the Kids' Choice Awards It was like a big deal So then Snoop comes to do our an episode of our show He comes to do the Christmas episode Okay? (laughs) Okay? the green episode yeah exactly (laughs) i am a huge snoop fan of course right big fan he shows up and i'm like i can't first of all he shows up nine hours late yeah (laughs) and like his call time was eight o'clock in the morning and they were like he is not coming until maybe four o'clock today. So I'm like, yeah, but he's called him. We're like doesn't matter. Right. So he finally shows up on the set and everyone's like, Oh my God, no one was upset. Everyone was happy that he was there. We held shooting all day until he got there. We didn't start shooting anything else. We just waited for him. We had like a second team shooting pickups and stuff just to, just to get, just to get something done. And we're sitting around. He <laughs> finally shows up on set and he gets in his dressing room and he goes, uh, yo, where, do, where the, where's, the, where's the Roscoe's at? <laughs> and they go, oh, we we have Roscoe's for you. We have a bag of Roscoe's chicken and waffles for you, like you asked. And he goes, yeah, this ain't going to be enough. Go get me some more of this shit. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so they like ran off to Roscoe's chicken and waffles and bought him every single – he had a – crew of 15 of fucking people with him so they bought every single thing they could possibly get their hands on and brought it back right so now we're waiting for him to eat Roscoe's chicken and waffles and then he smoked hella weed in the, <laughs> in the room in the in the dressing room and he finally comes out to set and we start shooting and we do a scene where he hits me with his car that's the scene right so I, that's the first scene so he hits me with the car and it's great and then <laughs> it's, so, it's so fun him and I are sitting together, and he goes, uh, "Yo, uh, he goes, yo, you that big dog that hooked hooked up uh, my boy Keys, right?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Yo, yeah, tonight when we rap, motherfucker, I got you." And I was like, "Oh yeah, what does that mean?" <laughs> and he goes, "No, bro, when we when we rap tonight, I got you, son." And I was like. Like what do you t- like? Would you get me like a jet ski? Like what are we talking about? And he was like, "No, we're gonna get fucked up together." What the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna smoke marijuana
1: with Snoop Dogg." I was like, "This is an amazing thing." He's already hit He's me like, with his car. This, this is so incredible. <laughs>
0: totally. And I look crazy too. I have a fake cast on, and I'm black and blue. I look nuts, right? So I tell, I call my mom. I'm like, "Mom, I'm gonna smoke weed with Snoop Dogg." You know, Canadians were very nice. Yeah. So so I'm like I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to smoke weed with Snoop Dogg. She's like, oh, I'm so excited for you. That's so fun. Have fun. You know, <laughs> be careful. I'm like, I'm so excited. And, uh, and so then uh, we go into a dressing room. I'll go in the dressing room. At the end of the day, after we've wrapped, we're, we're sitting, I'm, waiting, I'm sitting in my dressing room waiting for him. He comes in the dressing room, just him, comes in. He's got a candle. He's got a bag with some stuff and uh, an iPad. And he lights the candle and he goes, "Gotta set the mood, right?" I go, "Okay." He pulls out his iPad and he turns on Enya. <laughs> I wish this was a joke. But he starts playing Enya, "Who can say where the road goes?" You know that that song. So that starts playing, and I'm like, "Is this Enya?" And he goes, "I always get fucked up to Enya." <laughs> And I was like, okay, okay, all right, <laughs> all right. Like, I'm not here to judge. You know, we're both older guys. You know, that maybe we—that's—that's that's the way it is. <laughs> and then he pulls out a uh, a joint out of this bag that is a blunt, and it is literally uh, like about five inches long and about uh, about a quarter thick. Like, it is—it is thick. Fucking, th- it's big like and a I'm table like, leg. Okay, yeah, it's like a table leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I go I go um um oh, is that uh medical marijuana? Like medical grade marijuana? And he goes, "This is military grade, son." And I was like, "Oh, okay. All right." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, this is not good." You know, <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be real bad. And uh and so I was like, I was like, "Okay, I'm going to take two hits and then uh I'm fucking out." Like mm-hmm. I can't I can't be doing any more than this cuz we're in a little room together. And uh, and so I take uh, one hit, and I'm like, two hits. And he goes, you always puff, puff, pass, son. And I go, no, I know. I just puff, puffed. I'm going to pass. Now I'm going to pass. I did the puff, puff. I did two puffs. I'm pass now. And he goes, you've been smoking that shit for like 15 minutes. And I go, I have? And he goes, yeah, and you have both. And I was like, I do? And I had two joints, one in each hand. And I start panicking at this point. And I go, I go, I go, oh, I, I don't feel very well. And he goes, uh, when's the last time you smoked? And I was like, I don't know, like 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 t- t- ten years ago? And he goes, Oh shit, you gonna die tonight. You about to die, son. And I was like, Oh no. And I started weeping in front of Snoop Dogg alone in a room. And he's laughing and pointing at me and laughing and I'm bawling. And then I started hyperventilating into a bag (laughs) and I like, I thought I was going to fucking die. I thought I was going to fucking die. Like I was like, there is no way I'm making it out of this. And I don't remember him leaving. I remember him vanishing. Like I remember his body not being there, like just Van-, van I don't remember a door opening. I just remember him suddenly vanishing into the couch, and uh, and I was like, I was like, oh, I'm fucked up. Like this is fucked up. And I was like, I was I was tripping real fucking hard. And um, I got a friend of mine to drive me home because mm-hmm. I couldn't fucking drive. And I get home. I don't remember getting home, but I remember getting there. My car, wa- I didn't drive, so my car was still at the lot. So this is happening on a Nickelodeon show <laughs> at Paramount, like in the middle of a fucking. Movie studio. <laughs> I get I get home to my place and um, I start getting real hungry at uh-huh. this point, and so. Um, I started making cookies. Um and I just took like pre-batter cookies, you know, like from the fridge. And I then I was, I took a I I had some pistachio nuts. So I took the pistachio nuts, started crushing that shit up, throwing that in there. I was like, this is gonna be so damn good. You know, salty and chocolate, like that's the best you ever had chocolate and salt together. You know how it is, it's fucking delicious. So like put it in the thing, I put it in the oven, and I make up these cookies and I come out, I got like twelve cookies, right? And I just started eating cookies. Right and I'm watching TV. <laughs> I was watching TV, I was watching like old Cagney and Lacey shit like on TV and just eating fucking like hella cookies. And like I ate like probably like a bunch of these cookies, right? And my roommate came out and he was like, at the time, he was like, he was like, uh, are you okay? And I was like, You want one of these cookies? They're fucking awesome. And he was like, uh, no, thank you. Like walks out of the room, I fall asleep on the couch, I wake up about five hours later, my alarm goes off, because I have to go back to set for another day of shooting. I wake up about five hours later. I look at the cookies. These cookies got pistachio nut shells in them. (laughs) (laughs) They got plastic from the pistachio nut bag (laughs) baked in. Like there's plastic (laughs) baked into the. I had eaten. It was bad. Oh, yeah. 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 My stomach was not happy with me. Um, But yeah, that's the story is like, that's that's what happened. And then uh, Snoop and I have run into each other since then. Probably four times since then and every single time every time which means a lot to me he'll go ah oh, shit is this motherfucker who cried like a bitch is <laughs> that motherfucker who <laughs> cried like a bitch and he'll point at me and he'll tell everyone around this dude smoked weed with me and he cried into a bag like, he was, he's a baby man you a baby man Go get me a drink, baby man. You know, like he'll just give me shit for it. We've and he he did that in front of my girlfriend. He did that in front of Ludacris. (gasps) He did oh, no. it. He, uh, there was a time where I, I was I was at a party with Chris Brown and he told he told that story in front of Chris Brown and Chris Brown patted me on the back and said, it's OK. I, I get uh, scared when I get too high, too. And I was like, why are you touching me, Chris Brown? Why are you touching me? That's so weird. So, uh, yeah, it was weird. It, he he uh, did some magical stuff to my life. Um, another <laughs> magical thing that he did uh, to, to my life which I owe him forever for is uh, he turned to me while we were on set and he said uh, on the second day when we were working because we had to work together a second day, <laughs> <laughs> which he was fine i was I did not look good. thank God I had to wear glasses every episode because <laughs> or people I had sunglasses on, or people would have been like, "What your eyes are bright red <laughs> he I turned to him uh well, he turned to me on set and he went uh, uh I was wearing reebok pumps or I was wearing uh Nikes that were these cool uh furry nikes they're really they're orange fur Nikes and he was like he was like i like those uh i like those nike's those are tight and i was like thanks man i just bought them and he goes what the fuck do you mean you bought them and i was like i bought them i bought my nike's i bought them at the store and he goes what the fuck are you going to a store to buy nike's and i was like where do you buy nike's <laughs> and he goes i don't buy shit and i was like well then I don't understand what you're saying. They just appear, and he goes, "Hell yeah, they appear." And I was like, "Well, I don't. What does that mean?" And he goes, "Motherfucker, you call Nike. You tell them to get you some fucking shoes. You're on a hit show." And I was like, "I was like, y- you, what do you, who do I call?" He goes, "Figure that shit out. <laughs> call them up. Tell them you're on a fucking show. Tell them to send you some fucking Nikes." And I was like, "Oh." um, okay and he, and then we talked about it a little more and he was like you got to stop buying things to wear and buying things to to put on your feet you got to stop buying shit in general anything you need you should just tell people that you're on a TV show and they'll just give you shit <laughs> and i was like what <laughs> and i mentioned it to the guys that were on my show with me and they were like no, that doesn't happen. Like they'd all been gifted stuff from the network, but mm-hmm. none of them were just getting stuff like swag, things sent to them or whatever. So I called LRG, the uh, clothing company at the time, and I and I was like, "Hey, I'm on a TV show, and I have got red carpets and stuff. And Snoop, Snoop Dogg just told me this thing. <laughs> Do you guys want to send me some stuff?" And they sent me. A hundred and fifty t shirts, shorts, jackets, socks, everything. Wow. And I was I was I've never received boxes like that in my life. And I was like, whoa. And then I called everyone. Yeah. And then I never stopped. I literally never stopped calling. I'm still doing it to this day. I talked to and it, it went from originally being like you know calling companies to get free clothes or get free shoes or get free this or that went from that to um being like i'm a writer I've written for I'd written those movie written on those movies and other stuff, and I was like, I can write advertising. I could write a commercial for somebody, you know. And 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 YouTube was kicking up where people were doing you know YouTube ads and YouTube people were getting deals to make branded content. That was a new word at the time, making branded content, and I knew I could do it. And then we had cameras and stuff available to us to make stuff. So I um, I started pitching. To companies that I didn't want free stuff from, I wanted to work for them. And uh, and when Big Time Rush was ending, it took a long time to to make that transition mm. because once someone gives you something for free, they're never paying you for it ever. Right? That's never happening. Like if if a uh, if a company gives you a free product, there there there's never going to be a point in time where they will feel like they should be paying you for the thing that they gave you for free that that just that dynamic will never change because i tried with companies like with lrg i had to go off to um to do fashion week in new york city and i was like i got i i was booked on a couple things in in new york fashion week and i was like hey i need help with hotel and flights and stuff like do you guys want to pay for my stuff and i'll wear your stuff there and they're like no you have the clothes, that's the deal. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a different company, and I was like, a company I never worked with, and I was like, hey, do you guys wanna pay me to go out there, it was Hotel Tonight. And, And they were like, yeah, and they paid for my hotel, and my flight, and 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 I had to wear a T-shirt that said "Hotel Tonight" at all the you know carpets and all the things and stuff. Yeah. Great move, Man fucking cares. Yeah, it was yeah. great, and they're a great company. And it was right in the beginning of their stuff. So I started figuring out how that would work. Yeah. And then, um, long story short, at the end of uh, the fourth season of our show, I got the first. Um, Social media deal ever with Purina, the dog food company awesome and it was a three year contract where they had to they had to pay me every month for tweeting about them, but then I also got to uh, get paid to create content for them and i I created, over three years, I created 45 commercials for
1: all the Purina brands. And a little cherry on top. Yeah. You got to judge the dog.
0: Yeah, that's how it kind of all went down, is I got a call from Purina, and they said, "Um, we know you have dogs, would you be interested in hosting the Purina dog Costume contest in New York City.
1: Yes, <laughs> what a and dream. I was
0: like, hell yes, I would be interested. And they were like, they offered me. I I don't know if I if you say what numbers are supposed to be, but at the time we do, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they offered me uh, ten thousand dollars to host uh, a the Purina dog costume contest in front of sixty five thousand people in in uh, new york city in uh on a park uh, in New York, which is a huge park, and I was like i before I said yes i went i have I have a condition on on this and they were like okay, what's the condition and I said, um, when I finish doing this for you guys because i'm going to want to tweet about it and post about it, other companies are going to come to me." and ask me to do stuff for them. Milkbone, I know already follows me and a couple other companies that you guys don't own that are dog food companies already follow me on social media and I gotta be honest with you, I would rather have an exclusive deal with you guys than, than get into a, a weird situation with somebody else. So why don't we make some kind of deal? And they said, okay we'll pay you $2,000 a month for the next three years. What? To only work with us and we'll give you the $10,000 to host the thing and you can host uh, the Puriny Dog Costume Contest. I- if we continue doing it, you- you'll get to keep hosting it. And I said, great! <laughs> <laughs> Signed the fucking contract yes. and it, uh, it made it so that when my show got cancelled, even though it was a huge sad thing to end a TV show, I knew that I had um enough money to be able to like, pay my rent mm-hmm. and also take care of a couple other things. Yep. And uh I and I just knew that like I had I was able to do that to be able to go now okay, I have a deal with them. Let's go find a deal with somebody else. And uh you know, that's yeah. So that's how it works. And it was amazing. It was an amazing run with them. And and, uh, it's turned into some really great work, you know, over the years. I think the really cool
1: thing about it, too, is that so many people, when they move out here to L.A., they're like, I need a manager. How do I get an agent? How do I do all of this? And a lot of the opportunities that I think come up for anybody is self-made opportunity. And those people will help in a shitload of ways but at the end of the day you're handling your fucking business because you are your own business
0: totally totally and i've I've noticed that with you know with with our podcast and stuff too with nighttime show with nighttime show like i i'm i feel so lucky mike that you're a part of that show because you're insanely talented Mm -hmm. and you you know you're like You're such a great fit for us to have something, you know, where like we've, we've, we've had other people, you know, over the years do things and fill in and things like this. But when, but you're, you're part of the foursome of the four of us and, and it, it makes it, it makes it feel better to do stuff with friends because it makes it more important and, and, uh, you know,
1: I know. Like, two of you guys are so such close that's, friends. That's what we started this podcast. Is like, oh, a couple pals who love hanging out and so want to do this once a week? Twice yeah. a week? Six times a week? Whatever <laughs> it is? You know,
0: and, and like, I know that this sounds ridiculous, but it's like, as you get older, you know, like, you want to spend time with your friends. Mm-hmm. And finding ways to do that is, it gets harder and harder and harder. One of the nice parts about having a podcast and about, um, and, and, Getting to surprise friends like um, we booked um, when we booked Michael Dorn, uh, who played Warf on You're Star Trek. You're talking to a mad fan over here. So I'm you a, know, yeah. When we booked him on on nighttime show, it I booked him as a gift to Matt Walker because Matt Walker is a huge Trek fan. TNG. Oh yeah, and to be able to turn to my friend and be like. Guess who said yes? Uh, you know, it like it made me feel so good. And then, you know, he can be the, you know, the biggest schmuck in the world. But <laughs> it made me feel good that I was like, yeah, doing a thing that was beneficial that for my friends that also wouldn't exist, exist without them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can't it's not even like I can take cre- like credit, like full credit because. I wouldn't be able to do it without them so it's it's like it's a nice thing to kind of keep that um, keep that going and
1: some of the people that have been on the pod because it's so important to me that we promote it uh besides that Joey Fatone Joey Fatone um who who's who's Mel Brooks's son Max Brooks Max Brooks was fascinating he was our first episode no shit. Mm. Yeah,
0: he was number one man. He's he eloquent two, speaker.
1: Two, yeah. Speaks at like military conventions while writing some of the most he incredible about stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah how to yeah, survive yeah. the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, Fuck he yeah. goes and meets with like the G at the G2
0: summit and like talks about how to fight off zombies if a zombie apocalypse happens. Like he's a fascinating dude. Yeah. We've had a I mean, you know, Glazer, you've been there when it has not worked. We've had, sure. we've had, uh, we had Tom Sizemore on oh. our show, which was, was he... a. What what, he what was, happened? He was uh not a hundred percent there, uh really, and he kept saying to us let's uh he kept going, um he kept showing us a picture of a woman's ass oh. and going, This is what I'm waiting for at home. Can we fucking wrap this up, please? Wow. So he was he was kind of an asshole. Uh he is an asshole, <laughs> but
1: he was an asshole in the in our interview. Do okay, three choices. Yeah. Do you want to go Shrek? You want to go Storks, and Storks is Storks is. Uh, I would want to get to the part with your mom and the pigeon, in the garage. You
0: know? Yeah, let's. I guess I'll, I'll tell the Storks story. Do you want to do a
1: little bit of Storks, and yeah. then we'll get into
0: so. So I do a lot of voiceover work. Um, I've, I've been doing. I've been doing a lot of voiceover work. Like like within the last few years, I finally have gotten a chance to do it, which, as you know, is like very, very hard to break in to do yeah. VO work. I went in uh, and I met with this guy at at Disney a long time ago this is many years ago but I met with this guy at Disney who's a voiceover like casting person and he just it was like a general audition and they made me uh, do 30 35 or 40 voices
1: holy shit
0: within an I had about an hour I had uh... about 40 scripts and then i would i would i was cold reading but i had to had do a different voice for each one so um i had made a list of about 40 voices that i do and i was like okay i do this guy and this guy impressions soundalikes um you know, uh, uh, accents, you know, original characters. I would just be like
1: either stuff. holding my nose, not holding my nose. <laughs> Hilarious. You know what I mean? Hilarious. Water in my mouth. Like, <laughs> God damn, man.
0: There's so many, and there's so many, vo- and like that's not an exaggeration. There really is. There's, you know, there's like, you know, there's like, you know, even – you know, like for like for like southern guys, you know, I'd be doing like, uh, oh, there's a southern guy who kind of sounds like this, you know, and he's like, Hey, there, hey, there, you, know, see you son of a big sting, get on back here right now, you know, you got like that guy, and then you got, then there's, you know, southern guy who kind of sounds like that, and you know, kind of like a little bit of like Larry the Cable guy, like, Hey, come on now, what are we gonna do about this, you know, like, and so you do those voices back to back, and people don't know you're doing both you know so I did all these voices for this guy and I'm I'm doing you know uh, all sorts of you know weird I'm doing like a, now I sound like I'm doing like a Christian Slater impression but oh, I was like yeah you know, I was doing totally. like all sorts of like weird ones one of the voices I do is like uh kind of like a Spongebob kind of like uh oh hey there uh, oh my god what in the heck you know like kind of like a voice like that and we finish all this voice stuff and he goes Thanks for coming in. And I go So So what what does that mean? And he goes, What do you mean? And I go, like, what like what happens next? And he goes, Nothing. Just great job. Thanks. And I go, Can I can I talk to you out here for a second? And he comes out and I go, Was it not good? And he goes, It's look, you're fine. You you do great voices, but we don't need any of them. We have people who do all of these. So if we need like a tough New Yorker, we're getting John, John DiMaggio.
1: Right, who's been already,
0: one of the top he's one of the top three? One of the top three. Like yeah. we have we have him already. Like if we need a scary bad guy sounding guy, we're gonna get Peter, you know, uh you know, Frank Welker. Like that we 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 have all those guys. We're not we're not we don't need the only thing that you do that we don't have is the SpongeBob voice kind of thing. But you know, that's it, man. And I was like okay, and I walked out and I was like fuck, I'm 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 too late or I'm I'm it's never going to work and I felt like really bad. And then literally less than a month later, Warner Brothers had me in for Storks and I did I started doing voices for them and they were like oh we can use this wow yes. this is great uh-huh. and then they cast me as Pigeon Toady in the animated movie Storks alongside Andy Samberg and Jennifer Aniston and Kean Peel and all sorts of wonderful people and, um, and then when I was there I started kind of saying like hey there's these other characters that are, have one line can I do this character and they would go well what would he sound like and I'd go like maybe like he yeah, like a like a spanish accent you know kind of <laughs> sound like this maybe a little bit and they'd go yeah that's fine let's do that just do a track and then so i would do a take and then i was like oh what about what about this guy uh you know and there was like a big polar bear and i was like yeah like he kind of sounds like joey diaz like kind of has like a voice like a like hey how you guys fucking doing over here and they were like oh yeah okay and so they let me do that guy and then i was there was a rabbit and he had one line and the line was uh i don't know who that is that was the line and he like shook his head back and forth that's all i knew and so i was like um i was like i uh, he should sound like tracy morgan and be like that dude's crazy i don't know who that is <laughs> and then they and then they cast me as all of those <laughs> And they and then uh, and then I got SAG contracts for each individual character, which yes. was crazy, and it, it really like made a it made a big difference in my voiceover career because suddenly instead of just being one voice in the movie, I was four voices, and they all made it to they all made it into the into the cut of the film, and um and that has helped me to continue working. You know, and yeah. Cody event. is a
1: combination of
0: he's a combination of. Walter Cronkite and my my surfer neighbor uh, my surfer roommate from that I had from Long Beach, and he would kind of talk like this, like this is the way, like because, like, Walter Cronkite. If I'm, I'm I can't do a good Walter Cronkite, but it was very like, la ho, 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 <laughs> just, kind of like that, yeah, you know. And then, and then my roommate would, would like, he was like, Oh, heck, lick man, what are you doing? Being stupid, so like, so I put those together, and then, and then I got this uh character called Pigeon Toady who would just be like uh oh yeah here's my best friend we're best friends yeah i was super cool i was awesome or like he would he would agree with everything and then immediately disagree if you disagreed like he was that kind of person Where oh "Oh, yeah that guy sucks no he's the worst oh you like him yeah me too he's awesome (laughs) you know like that like that kind of (laughs) And I got away with, like, a lot – I got away with making Nick Stoller, our director, laugh a lot. And because he laughed so much, it, it, a, a lot I, – I went from being in five scenes in the movie to being in, like, 32 scenes in the movie. And, and getting, getting a, song, a song. And I got a song. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it was – you know, the, the the thing that I kind of tell my manager and then I tell my agents and my my people, I'm like, just let me – just get me in the door. Get me, get my foot in the door, and then I will fucking, I will give them everything. And if they want it, they can have it. And if they don't want it, it's fine. They get whatever. I, I give everything I can. Once, once I have the opportunity, I try to use the opportunity for as much as I can. With, with storks, I was, uh, very tempered in my, uh, as far as like, I wasn't. I didn't make a T-shirt with my face on it or something like that. Like, I was careful, um, but I but I also did other. St- I did weird stuff. Like, I became friends with a executive in home video at at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Which I wouldn't. Why would I know someone? And uh, why would an actor? suddenly also be friends with someone in the home video department. That's not something that would be normal. <laughs> and so I became friends with this guy who worked in home video, and I was like, what's going to happen on the home video for the for Storks? Like, when, you, when it's coming out for home video. And they were like, well, I don't know. And I was like, what if we did some videos for YouTube where it was Pigeon Toady, you reuse the footage from the movie, and it'll be like, Pigeon Toadie's Guide to the Alphabet or Pigeon Toadie's Guide to Colors or Teaching Kids About Animals or whatever and you just reuse the stuff but I'll do new voiceover and you can match the mouth to the what's already been animated and you do whatever. And they pitched it up the ladder and I scored myself three more spots that I wouldn't have had if I, which was full day rate for, yeah. for doing something that I would have been happy to do for free and uh and then because they the home video was like hey we think pigeon toady is going to be the breakout so we're going to make these three spots the the studio was like oh do you guys think he's going to be the breakout well then we should make a an animated short for the dvd that's about him And so,
1: oh, like a little extra, like one of those bonus, like an extra little short film, like a little extra cartoon short.
0: So they greenlit a million dollar short film to be animated called Pigeon Toadie's Guide to Raising a Baby, which was they brought in amazing writers, and those guys wrote a fucking short that I'm in, uh, the and and Andy Samberg's in, and everyone's in, but it it was. Some of it was self-generated, some of it was generated by them, but I definitely found a way of making what I had more. So. I'm always trying to do that. The I, I, I'm always trying to find ways of taking whatever I have in my life and just going like, how can we elevate this and make this a bigger thing? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of putting it like like what I'm currently doing. Instead of putting a a, a picture on a T-shirt because I didn't want to do that again and sell pictures of my face and be responsible for shipping and all sorts of nonsense. I didn't want to do that all over again at this point in my career. I went on LinkedIn. I looked up every single employee that works at hot topic and I sent them all messages saying, hi, I'm Steven Kramer Glickman. Here's who, this is what I've done. I'd like to find a way to work with hot topic. And I, I wrote to like so many fucking people and Very few people got back to me, but uh, it took two years of bothering them to get someone to finally agree to have me in for a meeting, have a phone meeting, Then we had a phone meeting, and then I said, I wanna do a T-shirt with my face on it in your store. And they were like, we're not interested in doing that. What we will do is put it online and make a store in in Hot Topic, that's all Glickman stuff, and uh, and so I signed a contract with Hot Topic, and huh. and I brought in artists. I got to pay artists to come in and do artwork for it and it looks it's, good it looks rad yes. and, it's, and later this later this year we'll i'll end up with i'll be one of the first i'm one of three people that that are doing a, a store with with hot in the hot topic website which is fucking crazy that's crazy like, the money is not in, in, in it's not an incredible percentage mm-hmm. but it's it's a partnership with a huge place and and it means something. Yeah. You know, like Hot Topic means something to me. I grew up going there a lot. and Yeah. Um, I bought all my wallet chains and Manic Panic at Hot Topic. Fuck, Dude, yes. Seriously, <laughs> you and I. Seriously, Mary Jane, we are one in the same.
1: <laughs>
0: but yeah, like that's, that's kind of where I've gone to in my career is kind of trying to figure out how to make the most out of everything
1: that I've got. We got to wrap this puppy yeah. uppy. where let's do plugs real quick.
0: Plugs. Keep your eye out for uh for hot topic for uh, some uh, Stephen Kramer Gleckman Gustavo merchandise. That'll be really cool. Um, for, uh, for uh, the nighttime show, go to www.thenighttimeshow.com, uh, which has links to all of the uh, different places that we, have our show or if you're uh, on podcast apps or things like this which you currently are uh, just look up uh, The Nighttime Show and you'll be able to find it there and Mike Glazer's on that and he's lovely on it um, hey and, uh, and yeah and um, at you, Stephen Kramer Glickman you, at Stephen Glickman just S-T-E-P-H-E-N Glickman on Twitter Instagram YouTube and Twitch and Snapchat because and LinkedIn hell yeah yeah LinkedIn, by the way, underrated, underrated app. It is the most underrated. It's like a. It's a, when you say LinkedIn on stage, it'll get a laugh. Yeah, and because people just go, well, remember when people use that, and then you use it, and you fucking find everybody. Hell <laughs> yeah! Magic. It Hell is yeah! Pure magic. And the thing, the thing. If I can say one last thing to remember is, uh, if if you're if you have uh, a, you know, if you have a dream and you're going after your fucking dream, uh, go after it in the most creative and bizarre, fun way. Don't let anyone tell you that your idea is stupid or weird or uh, odd um, because whatever you're trying to go after or you're trying to make happen, if you're an entrepreneur or you're trying to uh, start a business or you, you are trying to break into something, literally this especially – this town that we live in, it is a town made of windows, and you can just pull open a window or smash a window and jump in from any sort of angle at any time. There's no one to tell you that that you can't. That, there's lots of people to tell you you can't do it, but you can. But you can fucking do it. You just have to be creative to make it to make it happen.
1: That's the fucking out. The How truth. about that?
2: That's the truth. Fuck yeah. Love it.
1: Mary Jane, this was the shit. This was the shit. Thank you all for listening. We are at Weed and Grub on Instagram or weedandgrub.com. Please leave a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. It means so much and goes such a long way.
0: Sure does. Glickman. This was great. I love you guys. Love, love you. 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 Thank you, man. This means Thank a lot. You. This means a lot. Thanks for having me on. This is the best.
1: Bye, everybody. <laughs>
2: Bye.